And so all of a sudden you take this potentially sad or awkward or embarrassing moment and it becomes this fodder, you know, for something fun and spontaneous. And so I think for me it's always been tricky because it's hard for me to call them sad because I'm already going, oh, this is, yeah, this is, this is just now what's on the production line. <laughs> you know, like send it on down, you know. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Dave Barnes is a singer-songwriter and the co-host of the Dadville Podcast. He's also a stand-up comedian, though he's just as funny when he's sitting down, swapping stories. This episode, the 2021 finale of the Sad Stories Told for Laughs series, was originally released in video form as part of the Rabbit Room's online conference, Hutchmoot Homebound. The occasional silences you will hear in this recording are mostly Dave Barnes wheeze laughing at his own hilarious stories. Dave Barnes, I'm so glad that you are on the Habit, this very special episode of the Habit Podcast, yes, which is yes, yes, yes. video and also part of the Sad Stories Told for Laughs yeah. series. So. I like that your face sort of changed when you did that. Yeah, right. You sort of, you honored the sadness, <laughs> you changed your visage. So a couple of months ago, I went to see you play at the Ryman Auditorium. Yes. Uh, I, a friend of mine called me in the afternoon and said, hey, I got two tickets to see Dave Barnes play tonight. You want to go? I was like, sure. And we get there, and the seats were amazing. I'm like, why are we getting such great seats? He goes, oh, well, one of the band members got sick, and these were his parents' seats, and they didn't want to, like, there's, if he wasn't playing, they'd like, we don't want to come yeah, all the way downtown and Dave, find yeah. parking just yeah, to yeah. see Dave. The only reason we see Dave is our son. <laughs> but um, it was a great show, by the way. Oh, thanks. We loved it. And, but you told one, one story. That when you told the story, I'm like, i got to get Dave Barnes on Sad Stories Told for Laughs. Mm. And it was a story, I don't, don't want to tell too much, but it was... There was a guy who came up on stage. Yeah, so I know, you know the, the story. story I'm talking about. Yeah, I was there. You want to tell that story? Yeah, so, <laughs> so it, it, it is funny that you would say sad stories because this was a sad night for me. This really did start the the sort of like phoenix that rose from these ashes were sad ashes, um, yeah. which is the name of my next record. But um, it's an instrumental. But um, I uh, I was playing a show with Matt Wirtz, who's one of my dearest friends, and we've played a million shows together. And we were playing at this place um, called the Windjammer in uh, South Carolina. And it was that perfect storm, uh, maybe pun intended with the name of the venue, <laughs> where we couldn't tell if the crowd was there to see us or to get drunk. Okay. But it definitely wasn't both. <laughs> it was one or the other. And so the whole night, and so Matt and I decided like, hey, Let's just split the show up. Not nobody open for anybody. Let's just do like three songs and then he'll come out and do three songs and I come back out and do three songs. Do it over about an hour and a half and that's the night. Well, as the show keeps going, I'm getting more discouraged. Mm -hmm. um, some therapists would call it sadness. And, uh, <laughs> and so, um, so I'm really getting in my head. Like yeah. I'm really like starting to feel like, Man, because, you know, about every three or four songs, my kind of turn on and be like, hey, it's good. And I was like, oh, I got them. And then to be like, and then they're back to their bruise. And, uh, and so it's, it's really getting, like, and I think it's getting so bad that they can tell. Like, they, I'm starting to talk less, and I'm just kind of playing the songs, and I'm sort of grieving <laughs> decisions of my career and things. Like, they just sort of meta <laughs> moments. And so I literally, I sort of look down, and I'm singing, and out of the corner of my eye, I see someone jump on stage, yeah. and I'm thinking, well, one, this has never happened before, and two, I have no clue what to do about this, because nobody's doing anything about it. So, no bouncer, I think everybody was kind of like, man, we should see what happens. This is the best part of the night so far, you know, so, so and I'm kind of with them, like, I love spontaneity, I yeah. sort of love this kind of, so I'm like, terrified one, and also like, I don't know, let's see what happens. So I kind of keep playing, and this guy's just blitzkrieged. I mean, he's totally gone. I mean, he's like looking at me and he kind of he kind of gets on stage and he looks over and he's like, hey. And I was like, hey. And he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something, okay? And I'm kind of sitting there and everybody in the crowd is watching this happen. And so I'm like, okay. And he just kind of slowly like ambles over and he gets right next to me. And I mean, he is like as intimate as my wife and I have ever been. He is right there. And 
He, he and I don't know what to do, so I'm, and it felt good. I'm just gonna be honest. It's a, he had a really nice, warm breath. And are you, so, are you, are you still? Are you so playing? I've stopped at this You've point. Stopped. I mean, because okay. everybody, we're all in. We're like, let's, you know, let's see what happens. So he gets right here and he says, he goes, "Hey, I'm gonna tell you something, okay?" And I was like, "Okay." And he goes, "You listen to me right now. It doesn't matter what nobody in here thinks. You're doing a great job." And so I literally, it like, I, I'm, I'm like affected. I'm like, thank you, man. He's like, he's like, I'm not kidding. You're a person so good and nobody's listening, but that's okay because you're so good and you shouldn't be sad at all. And, and I literally, I'm getting ministered to. I'm like, Thank you, man. That means like, he's like, I'm meant from the bottom of my heart, okay? And I was like, okay. And so he literally sort of gives me this awkward side hug, and he turns around, jumps off the stage. And I am buoyed in this moment. I'm genuinely like, you know what? I can do this. And so literally, so I get done. I get done with the show. And I remember like looking for him, and like nobody could find him. And I was like, oh, my gosh. God sent this drunk angel to encourage me, <laughs> which then spins off into a million things because I started thinking like, I wonder if that's like a thing with God, like the angels have to get like a little sauce before they come down. So then it sent me on this crazy thought thinking about Gabriel, like if he had a couple nips before he came down, like what that would have been like to Mary, you know, he just shows up and he's like, hey, Mary, whoa, whoa, hey, 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 it's me, okay, You're just like, sure, don't nobody freak out, okay? I got some crazy, you know, <laughs> but that was all from this thing. But it was, it's funny you ask, because it really was this sort of like, I was really sad up there. And then, and then God decided to sort of mad live my night into, uh, into this crazy moment that was just wonderfully, wonderfully bizarre. And, and oddly enough, wildly encouraging. Yeah. Like it really was encouraging. Did it, uh, so you said that buoyed you through the night. <laughs> Were there other nights where you're, uh, sad again, and then you remember the drunk. I mean, angel? is how is if it's is it bad if like you know every show there's some sad point where I'm like in my head about something. Is that true? Every I show? think so. Yeah. Well, the problem with my brain too is it's I like I have a pretty nimble brain, and so which is great <laughs> in some scenarios. It's really dangerous in others. But one of the things that I have to practice so much with live shows is to really be present mm -hmm. because it's just I'm just everywhere all the mm -hmm. time. And so there's definitely moments where, you know, you get done with the song and you're like, God, you're welcome. Nobody cares. Okay. Uh, here's the next song, you know. Yeah. So there, I think there are all those moments in every, uh, in every set that it's kind of like these little grievance, you know, these little grievances of kind of like, oh, man, I thought I stuck that. Or you, or you catch the one guy who's like looking at his wife like, why am I here? <laughs> I asked you not to come. And you're catching the whole thing, reading the whole lip, you know. So, there, the, yeah, I think there's every show – had some little, mo even if it's just me going, I'm kind of hungry. I wish I was done, you know, <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, yeah, yeah, some version of that. Um, uh, one, uh, one sort of category of sad stories told for last that I get from performers yeah, yeah. Um, is strange venues. Oh, God. What do you got for me? You know, there's a whole, there's a dark, dark realm of venues that, that um, it's these colleges, um, and it's called NACA. Yeah. N-A-C-A, National Association of College something. Um, atrocities is what <laughs> I remember. But what the, it's the weirdest little symbiotic relationship because it happens, and I saw it happen to literally every single one of my friends that did what I did, like a guy on a guitar. Yeah. Where, Ellie Holcomb told some NACA stories. Oh, Drew yeah. Holcomb has one of the best ones I've ever heard in my life. Like, I, I tell it. And give him credit. I, I'm not like this happened to me. I'm like, I'm going to tell you all a funny story that's not mine, but it's just too funny not to tell. But so you need to ask him about that story. But, but it's this weird world where it's the perfect storm of these colleges. Someone explained it to me like this. These colleges have a set amount of money they have to spend on mm -hmm. performances. They have to. Yep. Like, let's say it's 15 grand a semester. They have to. So, like, there's, that's a nice little chunk of change, and especially if you're a 22-year-old yeah. dude or girl with a guitar and they go, hey, will you play for 2,500 bucks? You're like, I can live off nine months off that money. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, that's, that's CC's pizza twice a week with a Ziploc bag, and my life's good. You know what I mean? So, so you're stuck in this terrible place where you're like, 
I can't say no to this, but you knew when they would ask you, because it would be like, because the times of the shows would be like noon in the cafeteria. Yeah. And you're like, oh, man. <laughs> and it'd be like, you play for 12 hours. And you're like, it, you know, it'd be something ridiculous, like two-hour shows. And you're like, I have five original songs. I'm 22, you know? And two of those are good. So you go do these shows, and they were just... They were just the weirdest. Like I only did probably three or four of them, but they were all these like you were at the you were in the basement of the of like the the uh, university center at like six twelve p.m. <laughs> and I remember playing one show, and the only people there were people playing pool. And you know, I'm just like kind of looking at them, and one guy finally like kind of raised his hand in solidarity, so like you can do this, or it's gonna be okay. I couldn't tell through the tears, but. Um, his and mine, but um, it was <laughs> like that. They there are so many of those places, but it was so frustrating because you always got paid. So yeah. you would just it. You never felt more like you were sort of like forgive my language, but whoring yourself out because you just show up. There was already shame. Yeah, right. And they sort of knew it, and they sort of felt bad giving you the check, and you'd be like, they just point, and you'd sort of walk in the venue and just plug in. And you're like, okay, here we go. You know, and it was even worse when you'd have one of the one of the worst shows I ever did. I was by, I never ever played by myself. Like, I, I hated being on the road by myself. Uh-huh. So I just find friends, because you know, I was in my young 20s, and friends were either like finding jobs, they had time or whatever. You mean it's, friends who weren't playing with yeah, you? Yeah, just, yeah, they, just, just, just we're like bros. Like, yeah. you know, hey, let's go hit the road for a couple of days. And so it was the only time I've ever done a run of shows where I, I was by myself. And so I show up to this uh, college in South Carolina, small college, and they had me playing in the president's home okay so when you walk in there's two staircases that go immediately left and right and then up and so you know these were the moments that like all the terror i had sort of came to light because i would walk in and i was like oh boy there's not an obvious place to play so this Mm. means i'm going to be in the non-obvious place. sure enough the girl who's always sweet would would show up and she's a huge fan and she's yeah. like, there's going to be 9,000 people here. And you're like, that, let's count three of the zeros off. There'll be nine. And we'll be lucky if we're 10. And so she would always hype it. And you always knew like, okay. And she made, she was like, she, she had the system set up. And I was on the stairs on the right. So at the landing, that's where my okay. stage was. So when you walked in, you had to take a hard right. And I'm on the landing looking down. And they didn't have a sound guy. So she goes, and so it's just this wonderful moment where she's like, so there's the sound, and I think maybe you just sit there and play. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, no. She's like, are you crying? And I was like, that kind of thing. Because I'm literally trying to do something that space-time continuum won't let me do, which is strum and then hear it on the other side of the speakers because I'm mixing myself. So I'm like, I'm like running like, oh God, the decay in here is pretty intense. So it'd be like, I'm like oh, just a little more. And so the, the worst part about those shows, the worst part about those shows is that it never failed. You would have real fans show up and the sadness that they had. Oh, God. That's what killed you. That's what kept you up at night. It's like those are the moments I'm like, look, I'm fine if nobody shows. I really am. I'll play and I'll be done. I'll give them money and leave. But please, God, don't send 15 kids here who are thrilled to see me and then watch them be sad that they that they are supporting someone who plays shows like this. You know, like I just remember, I just remember, I remember like being on that landing and like I was kind of like, all right, there's like five or six people, and there was and they were having like a dinner too, like a like a buffet, so nobody yeah. was sitting, but people kind of. Sounds great, you know. Yeah. And I just remember like a like fifteen or twenty kids from Clemson came, and I was like, <laughs> "Dad, comments," because they all walked in like, "Oh, there!" And then you just you saw it all at once. You're like, "Oh, oh, he's right there." <laughs> and I was just kind of like, "Look, we all see it, man. Just can we? Can y'all leave? Just leave. This is gonna be, you know." And then so then you're trying to do your show, and they don't know where to stand, and so they're kind of like, "Oh." Can we get food? And I'm like, I don't know. Just like, please make this go away. So those, those were those shows where it was just like, oh, so miserable, yeah. you know. You know, I've heard so many stories from touring musicians, you know, that where they were disappointed in the promoter. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I've got to have a promoter on. Oh. To hear some of their stories. Because, I mean, they're not thrilled about what's going on here no. either. The thing that is so tricky about that is what would happen so much in the early seasons of my career was you would have, this happened, I think, of two different shows. One, I, I'd never played in 
Massachusetts, I think. And this girl who was at this tiny liberal arts private school, I mean, the whole school may have been 2,000 kids, it was mm -hmm. small, but she is an uber fan. Yeah. You know, she is like in, right? She has like a vial of bl my blood on her necklace kind of vibe. <laughs> and, and like a little piece of hair that, that support, of my hair that supports it. And, um, and so, so like, you know, she's in and she picks me up at the airport and, you know, and I'm like, oh, how you doing? She's like, oh, great, Dave, I can't tell you how excited everybody is, which immediately like nobody, but keep going. And she was like, I have put up posters everywhere. And I'm like, that is true. And then what always, what, and she would give them to me. I always loved that. She'd be like, here, you want to take these with you? I was like, no, no. What am I going to do with these? You know? So, so you'd get in the car and then it was always, and I have laughed with every single one of my friends about this because everybody knows this feeling and you know it, you know it as much as like you feel the, the weather change in the fall. It's the same feeling. You know, it's coming and you sit down there like, and you're like, okay. And she's like, so we have told everybody we've got a, we've got a, you know, 500 person room ready. And I'm just like, here we go. This is it. This is the great descent. This is right into sadness. And you know, she she sit there and we told everybody I have and then she's this is where you knew it was bad is she start telling you her friends that are coming. Okay. You know, my girl I have a couple girls from sorority, I have a friend that's driving them from Boston, and you're like, Oh god, this is gonna be nine people. And the worst part is you're ready because you've done it. So you're like, I've already died that death. That sad that that sad shit. That sad ship sailed millennia ago for me, but now I've got to get watch you get sad in an hour when I'm on stage, and I know it. I'm braced for impact, but she's let's push it back ten, and I'm like, let's yeah okay all right yeah no the, no there's a thousand people waiting to be here in ten minutes like you know and she's ten minutes maybe another five and you're like and then finally the death happens where she's like. You can go ahead and start. And it was like, yeah, okay, okay. And she's just the whole show, like, you know, and I'm, oh, God, those moments were just, like, so hard. So that, that's what's hard. That also happened, I'll tell you what, when it gets really bad. I was laughing with Carney about this at, at, uh, at one of our hangs. Matt was telling the story where he had the seven people, like, the worst that would happen to seven me once, where you would walk into, thankfully, I wasn't headlining this. I was an opener. But... You know, it was the it was like the gym version of that. So like you walk in and there's a thousand seats, Ugh. and and you're like, and that was one of those nights. It's like, thank God it's not me that they're gonna look at and be like, what happened, bro? You know. So like you know, it's, they're always colleges because they have a set budget, so they're not worried. You know, it's not dependent on people buying stuff, and that's why they can afford these people to come play. But I mean, sure enough, when we got up to play that night, there was probably a hundred people in a thousand seats, and you're just like. You know, sorry, everybody. Nobody wins. Because you get, you know, that's where people are like, you know, you got to show up and give them the show. I'm like, nah, man. Like, you're, I because, mean, you know, everybody's watching you and it's just sad. They're like, dude, chill out. And you're like, whoa, go on. And like, hey, there's no, too much, too much. And you're like, <laughs> you know, that's like, I did this show once at Bongo Java here in Nashville. <laughs> It's amazing how much I didn't know I had these stories. And you just were like, and I'm like, and then one time, so one time. Um, and so I was playing at Bongo Java. It was like maybe my fifth show in Nashville. And I went to MTSU for school. So I had a bunch of friends that lived in Nashville. And they were my crowd for, you know, the first like yeah. year. And so I was, you know, I had the show. I, I promoted it. I told all my friends. And, and you know, it's a 50-person room. It's the upstairs in Bongo Java. It's a yeah. tiny room. And I loved playing there. But, like, I'm not kidding you. Five people were there for my show, and all of them were my friends. And so I remember, like, starting. <laughs> this is a true story. I remember starting the show. End of the first song. And one of my friends was like, Dave, because they're me to you. And I was like, <laughs> no, I'm not like. So I stopped, and I'm like, yeah. And she's like, hey. Can we just go get dinner? And I was like, <laughs> Yeah, we end up, you know, just like, and I was like, you know, done, done. You know, there's just, there was a lot of those. There were like, you know, I remember mom and dad would be like, you know, a couple of the 50 people that some room where you're like, and they're like, it's okay. <laughs> you know, mom's back there, like, you know, trying to give you all this. Ugh. Oh man. Okay, there was something you just said made me maybe think. Of, oh, I, no. What was what was the question I had for you? You maybe launched to another funny story while I'm trying to think of my question I had for you. 
Oh, launch into I'll tell you one of the most awkward moments I've ever had in my life. I, <laughs> I was doing a radio promotion tour, which I want to tell you, you get anybody, you, you could ask an artist today, like go to downtown Nashville and say, you have any like hard or funny stories? Like, I can't think of any, but all you would need to say is radio promotion. And they'd be like, oh my God, how much time do you have? Because it's just such a nightmare. That whole scene is such a nightmare because basically it's, you know, you, you fly to all these cities and they have you come in and play for the staff at the radio, right. you know, at the radio. Uh, Sounds uh, like fun when they do it on well, like 100. Sure it was. Yeah. Well, no, they go, ha, 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 you know. And writing 100, you, you have a few stations that you want to go to. Because okay. you listen to them or they have prestige and so yeah. you have to be there. But, you know, when you're Poughkeepsie or Dayton, yeah. Ohio, I mean, God bless all those people. If you are there, um, <laughs> I would love to come play your benefit, I promise. Um but God, you would go do these things, and it was just always so soul crushing because they're not. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't want. I forgot about the story. I forgot about this story. I went to a Triple A station in Indiana. What'd you say? A Triple A station. Triple A. Station. What does that mean? Triple A is adult alternative. Okay. And which is Lightning One Hundred. So okay. kind of like cool. You know, like like okay. not a lot of listeners, but really cool music. Basically, <laughs> yeah. what I mean. So so or not like with the top forty right. country, those yeah. kind of things. Um, and so I remember getting there, and I walk up to the front, and it's just me and my guitar. My radio guy wasn't there, and so I'm like, "Hey, I'm here to play for you know Lightning Jack or whatever the guy's <laughs> name was." He's like, "Oh yeah." I mean, nobody's really paying attention to me collectively. Yeah. It's like I really feel like they can't see me, sort of. So they're like. Oh, he's back there. And it's a lot of nondescript. Like, he's in there. Like, knock on that. And he went there. <laughs> so finally, I find this guy. And he's like, oh, yeah, Dan. I was like, Dave. He's like, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, I am not lying to you. I'm not lying to you. I walk into this room. And he's like, well, let's get a, let's just do a quick interview. You know? And I was like, great. <laughs> There's this huge round table. So I'm sitting here, round table. And I'm sort of a mic in the middle. Okay. Like, but I can't tell. It's just in the middle. It's not toward me. It's in the middle of the table. So then the guy sits at the Mac right here at his Mac, you know, and he's kind of like, and he starts talking to me, but I can't tell if it's the interview. So he's like, so, so I'm caught between, I'm like in purgatory. I'm like an interview purgatory. Cause I'm like, do I sort of, Hey, and I do my thing. And we got in last night and we played the thing last night because he's so low key. And he's kind of, this is exactly how it was. So did you guys get in this this morning? <laughs> yeah, well, we did. You know, we played last night at the at the Bluebird here in town. And he was like, cool, cool. Uh, how's the road? No, it, man, love playing shows. Uh, <laughs> and I'm telling you, hand on a Bible. We do that for about three minutes. I realized that was the interview because he says, you want to play something? And I was like, yeah, a song? He's like, yeah. And I was like, all right. So I played the song and he's like, cool, man. Thanks. And I was like, yeah, that's, that feels right. So, uh, I mean, the other one in this one to me is I tell this story all the time at the shows because it's, because I, like eye contact at shows is always so weird. You know, you like make eye contact and somebody's just staring through your, the center of your being. So I never, you know, you get locked and then they're like, you know. I go to this, me and my radio guy at the time, we were promoting one of my songs. And we get to this radio station in Boston. And it, um, we met, so I flew in. He was from New York. I was coming from Nashville. We meet in the lobby. And he's like, hey, man, it's supposed to dump like feet tonight. So of snow. <clears throat> Not literally feet. That would have been weird. That was a plague. Uh, it was happening in Boston. God was judging Boston. And uh, actually, maybe still is. But, um, but so he's like, here's the deal. Let's um, meet up um, in the morning. I'll, actually, he said, I'll call you. I'll call the radio station because if it snows, I need, we need to make sure they even open. You know, mm -hmm. we may just have to, you know, cancel today and fly to the next place. So it's like, great. So he calls me and he's like, hey, man, radio station said, come on by. Like, meet me in the lobby at 9. And I was like, great. So, get down there. I've got my guitar. And sure enough, it had snowed like a foot. I mean, it snowed so much snow. But it's Boston now how to do it. So, we take forever to get to Panera because, you know, you want to bring in, like, your, your sacrifices to oh, them. Oh, I didn't so know about that. You yeah, to bring Yeah, bagels. coffee and bagels and stuff. You know, <clears throat> is, it, is it whatever. So, you came in, brought it to – and so, we get to the front door of this place. And, I mean, you know, it's just like we're shedding all – you know, just because we got all these clothes on. We finally get to the secretary. 
And so my guy's like, hey, this is Dave Barnes. I'm uh, so-and-so. Can we, uh, we're here to play for everybody some songs. And she was like, oh, no, there's nobody here. And we were like, what's that? And she's like, no, it's just me. I'm, I'm the only one on staff today. And, and, and my guy's like, who's like New York. I mean, this guy's rough and tumble. And he's like, okay, well, well, so it was me that called you earlier. And I said, is there anybody here? And she said, yeah, and there is, I am. And we were like, that, well, then that is technically true, isn't it? <laughs> okay. And so literally he goes, well, here's some bread. And I was like, well, do you want to hear a song? She's like, I'd love to hear a song. I was like, well, we're here. I'll play a song for you. So we go into the conference room, and I'm telling you, it looks like this table was made from Noah's Ark. It is the longest <laughs> table I've ever seen. Thank God we didn't do the thing where it's like sitting at the ends, but we sit, you know, and again, we're about this close. And so I realized the error of this decision because I don't know where to look. Because she is so grateful. And she's like, oh, my God, this guy's going to, like, play a song for me. And it's just me and her and my – and she's just a secretary. You know, she got up and was like, I don't know what I'm going to do today, much less have some guy, like, serenade me in the Noah's Ark room. So I have to play, and I don't – and every time I look up and catch her eyes, she's doing this. Thank you. Just like – it's just, like, barely audible. And then she'd say things like – while I'm playing. <laughs> and so I had this like tremendous scar from like, and now anytime I lock eyes with somebody in the show, all I see is her face, like, and my mom's face going, <laughs> you know, it's just scarring. Um, have you ever uh, played your show and then the, the guys, or the woman, as the case may be, yeah. says, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be able to pay you? No, God, thank God. That's, that's never happened because, okay. yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I, I mean, like anybody, there have been shows where, like, my road manager would come back and be like, boy, that almost got bad. And it was like, am I glad I hired you to do that? Yeah, <laughs> because right. I'm the guy that had been like, just don't pay me. In fact, I'll start working here. I'll move here. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, just you dishes. Can I I'll dishes yeah, literally, I'm that guy. I've been like, I just don't want conflict. Just yeah, like right. whatever we can. Yeah. No, that's never, thankfully, been an issue, which I'm thankful for. Um, uh, all right. I'm trying to think what my, what my other categories. <clears throat> I didn't know about the radio. I didn't know how bad the radio oh, it's, it's, things were. I mean, this, it, this it, is news to me. It's one of my favorite, one of the best nights of my life. So we have a cabin out in Leaper's Fork. Um, and, I, and it's got this great kind of fireplace pit mm-hmm. thing outside. And a bunch of my friends, I'm in kind of a men's, um, men's group with all these country artists, which is mm-hmm. so random, but they're dear <laughs> friends of mine. And I'm like literally the outlier. But we, because they have the worst stories, because those guys, those guys and girls, like the country, the radio grind for a new artist is so intense. Like you're doing numerous ones a day for months. Huh. I mean, not every day, but like right. weekends. I mean, it's it's just a lot of work because radio is the lifeblood of of country music. I mean, like, and so it's very symbiotic. Everybody knows. Few people complain. It's just it's you just yeah, do it. What you you do. go do it. And if it works out, it's great. You look back and go, man, I'm glad I put the time in. So it's a well-worn path, but man, we sat around that fire, and I made them all tell their worst radio promotion story. And I, I mean, I thought I was going to put the to fire out from how much I was cry laughing. Like just, it was just so many, so many terrible. I remember Dave Haywood from Lady A told the story about how like they made, they made them meet up. <laughs> I'm going to butcher this story, but basically, the gist is like this radio station was like. We're going to make you come play for all these deer hunters one morning at 5 a.m. before they go hunt. And I'm sure it was like, you know, Kicks Country, Arkansas, Little Rock, you know, and it was like somewhere out in the And he said, sure enough, me and, you know, Hillary and Charles showed up in our geek. Because you got to look cool. So you're basically like looking like you're ready for a show. Well, they were all these guys. Like Lady like, A, they weren't dressed yeah, up in and deer and hunting I clothes. I think they then got in a, either a truck trailer or a, and. I think played while they drove. I mean, it's just one of those things where sure that's an OSHA violation. Oh, I mean, there's no doubt, but there's just that, that world. If you want to just hear some like nightmare and later funny stories, all I, we just sat and laughed because everybody would just keep winding up. You'd be like, Oh, let me tell you about my experience, whatever, whatever. Um, Cause it's just, it's set up for so much sadness. Ultimately. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, there's just, there's so many moments you're sitting there going, I, 
have made the worst decision for a career. This is, <laughs> why would anybody do this? You know, and then, yeah, it's just, a, it's a heart, it's wonderful, again, in retrospect. Yeah. But in the time, it's just miserable. Hey, how would you say, like, how have these, this, surely this has shaped your view of your work, the yeah. world, yeah, yeah, <laughs> people? Oh, yeah. You know, I, I think, my, my personality was sort of made for this in some ways because, you know, me being someone who likes comedy and stories and being funny, there's always a little bit of like, oh, this is going to be great later, yeah. you know? And mm -hmm. so there's a little bit like where I don't even see him as sad because I'm already going like, oh, I got a new bit. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> oh, thank you, you know? Yeah. And in fact, in shows, it's fun listening to Don talking because there was a little bit of that with me too where it's like if something would happen live, that I think some people might have gone like, oh my God, what do you do right now? I was always like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I was playing a show, a, a show and one of my songs, a song called Nothing Fancy, and the whole thing hinges on the last lyric. Like the whole thing gets wrapped up in the last lyric. And when I went to sing it, I, I full throat burped. And not like, <laughs> like a bullfrog mating call burp. Like, and I just remember, and the whole, I'd spent three minutes getting me there, and then for whatever reason, that, you know, taco I'd eaten, you know, right before the show, and I mean, it was on the mic, full-throated, passionate, maybe biblical, spiritual kind of burp, and, you know, I think a lot of people that have been like, what do you do? But for me, it's like somebody throws me a prop, and so... <laughs> I just remember I pulled off the mic and I'm literally going, thank you, Jesus. You know? So I was like, well, and of course, everybody's just like waiting. You know, they're looking at, and I said, well, we all know what happened. We saw that. Um, you can't deny something like that. And I think it's appropriate to talk about it in front of everybody. And so, you know, and so all of a sudden you take this potentially sad or awkward or embarrassing moment and it becomes this fodder, you know, yeah. for something fun and spontaneous. And so I think for me, it was funny as we were talking about this, you know, talking about you doing this show. For me, it's always been tricky because it's hard for me to call them sad because yeah. I'm already going, oh, <laughs> yeah. this is, yeah, yeah, this is this is just now what's on the production line, <laughs> you know, like send it on down, you know. So it's it's it's. It's almost fun to have those. It's not fun in the moment because some of them can get really. So I, I played, <laughs> I played this show once. <laughs> I was like, you know, my problem with playing live music is I just get really bored really easily. And so I sort of knew early in my career I was never going to be like a road dog because I'd do five shows in a row and I was already trying to explode the thing. I was like, you know, what we should do. Let's everybody switch instruments from a song. And they were like, what's that? <laughs> I was that guy, and I still am. Like, if I do too many shows in a row, like, the people that work with me are like, okay, let, he needs a break. I'm like, no, I don't need a break. <laughs> who, who loves the Muppets? They're like, okay, we got to get out. Like, you know, what is nudity here? Like, and so, and so I just remember we were in one of these runs. I was playing in Indianapolis, and my sweet band, they were just so patient with me. But I came backstage, and I was like, guys, I got an idea. And I was sincere. This wasn't trying to be funny. I was like, what if I start the show in the audience on my guitar? And they were all like, I'm sorry, what's that? And I was like, like I sneak out there and then I just start it. And they were like, there's immediately about 10 things that are a bad idea about that. And I was like, yeah, but what's the good one? And they're like, well, no, we can't find that. As we're sort of, so I talked them into it. And I just remember my sweet road manager, I heard him praying. He's like, oh, Jesus, just let this go. I need this job and he needs money. So we, you know, sure enough, the band's up there and somebody's looking at the band and I start this song and immediately I'm like, this is one of the worst decisions I've ever made because nobody hears me. And I'm, nobody's kind of like, oh, hey. And, and it's kind of like, oh God. And the band definitely can't hear me. So they're all like, and I'm like, I'm starting to sing. And, it's, and so I remember Paul, my drummer, is just watching my hand to kind of get the tempo. And I'm like, now and he's like what and I'm like now and he's I can't now and I'm and then the people around me are kind of like and th so then I'm trying to play and walk through the crowd oh, you know, people are muting the guitar and the band's kind of like what and I'm, now and they're like what what and I'm like Start the song. So, I mean, it was just this absolute debacle where I'm like going through trying to sing and I get up on stage and they're just vamping on the same three chords. And I'm like, okay, oh God. And it's just, it was just like this like complete and utter train wreck. And I just remember like 
you know, feeling like, oh, this was terrible. But immediately after the show, I was like, guys. And they're like, <laughs> you know, it was awful. Do you ever get people complaining about how much you talk between songs? You know, first of all, that hurts. Second, um, and I get what you're inferring. I've never known anybody who talks as oh, much between songs. Well, so here you. was the deal. You know, it was interesting hearing Don talking about that, too, because, you know, my, my whole beginning was really humble because I had never, ever sang in front of people, ever. What so, do you mean? like, literally. Like you were in a church choir? No, 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 no. no. Weren't no, no, at no. school? I grew up playing drums. And so uh-huh. I was used to being on stage and I loved performing. I'd kind of done, done skits my whole life and sort of pseudo improv and that kind uh-huh. of stuff. But I'd never sung. Nobody knew that I sang. So, when I started writing songs at MTSU, where I went to college my freshman year, uh, my sophomore year, I started writing songs for myself. I'd never played guitar, and all this was brand new. But there's that Barnes thing in me, which is like, if you're gonna do it, let's go down in flames. So <laughs> I was like, why not embarrass myself in the process? And so I started booking shows because I had songs and I had enough friends around me who were like, hey, this stuff is pretty good. Like, and your voice is kind of cool, and you should do it. So to calm myself, because I would get up there and I was terrified. Like I loved the thrill of being on stage, but I was absolutely terrified of singing in front of people. And I'd, I'd, been, I'd played guitar for a year, you know? But something in me was like, this is how you gotta do it, man. It's like, just jump in and go, which in wow. retrospect, I'm like, where did that go? lots of other ways Can to I do it. Can I please have that back? Like what happened to that guy? You know? He was around for like that year and he's like, I'm out, Bonds. It's a good run, baby. Um, I've seen what his goal was and I don't wanna be here for this. So, so I would literally do these shows where I would sing and I would just be so nervous that, that because I knew I could make people laugh and tell stories, that was what calmed me down. Mm-hmm. So if you went to those shows, I mean, it wasn't uncommon for me to do five songs in an hour set, <laughs> five or six songs in 30 minutes of talking. But the thing that got really crazy is people liked that. Uh-huh. Like they, and I'll tell you what, and, and you guys will know this reference, but one of my biggest idols at the time was Bebo Norman. And if uh-huh. you ever saw a Bebo show, I know the Petersons know this story too well, but he talked so, he really did talk too much. He would tell you that. Because he was, a, he was like, cute and fun, but he wasn't funny, funny. And so I remember I'd go to shows and I'd be like, wrap it up, you know, wrap it up, you know. And so he was, because he was such a big influence of mine, that was kind of what I knew. That was sort of the yeah. pedigree. And, and I remember, you know, probably a couple years in doing shows where I got more confident, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I got to do a lot less of that. But it was so funny because people really sort of spoke against that. They were like, hey, why aren't you doing as much talking? Like, we want to hear this story. Or, hey, uh-huh. tell the whatever. Yeah, right. Or the setup for the song was, yeah. they knew, and they're like, why didn't you do the setup, uh-huh. you know? But I sort of had this moment where I was like, I kind of need to be able to do this without doing that. And for so for a few years, I just didn't talk as much. I played more. And thankfully, like, people didn't love it, but they were like, well, we're here for the songs anyway. But it was really later that I started to introduce that back and understood that sort of my brand, which I hate that phrase, but was this sort of like experience. It was much less, you know, just music. It was all of that. Yeah, and then right. it sort of, I introduced it back and it became much more a part of what I do. Um, have but, you ever done straight up stand up? Yeah. I, I was thinking yeah. you had. Yeah, we did it, we did it, I did it probably, a couple of years ago I did probably 12 shows that were just me, no guitar. Um, and then I did a tour in 2018 or 19 where I did 45 minutes of music I did this at the Ryman, 45 minutes of music, 15 minute break, and then 45 minutes of stand-up. Okay. My son was, went to that show. Oh, nice. And he told me he'd, that you'd done stand-up, but I didn't know if he meant you had literally done stand-up or if it just meant you were talking no, a ton it was between just, songs. Yeah. And, and again, I, I'm, I'm really weird about this, but I like doing things sort of full bore. And so when I did the stand-up shows, I was doing like hour 15. Like I was going. And I remember my wife and manager both were like, look, this is funny. You need to cut 30 minutes out. Because I was like, well, music shows are an hour and a half. And they're like, yeah, but that's not the same thing. Like, mm-hmm. you, there's a, you get tired from comedy. Like, yeah. fans are like, yeah, 45 minutes, we're good to go home. And yeah. I was like, well, you paid for a show. Yeah. You know, so it was this yeah. weird sort of thing, me having to realize that there's a different sort of way that that works. Are you going to keep doing that? Or are you done? Yeah, I think so. I just did a private comedy show this summer that was really fun here in Nashville for a group of doctors, which was super random, but really fun. I really enjoy it. I think I, I was really scared for a long time that, um, I don't know, I think comedy is more natural to me because it's just who I've been for my whole life. I mean, not to be like, I'm oh, Mr. Funny, but you know, you, yeah. you just tell, you know how to do it. You, you mm-hmm. just know how to talk and whatever, right? Yeah. And music is so much more challenging, but it's so much more, I'm so much more obsessed with it because it's, I don't know, I just love it so much. So I was always scared that 
because I would do a little bit of funny and it just felt like people were like, mm, <laughs> where I'd do songs and they'd be like, this is cool. Yeah. So I was like, I want to get that to where people like play more songs. Yeah. And then, because I just saw, the minute I was funny, it just seemed like it was, it was such a lower hanging fruit for me than music was. Yeah. So I was always really nervous to spend too much time in it because I felt like it would just eclipse the music I was trying to create. So is doing, standing up with a guitar and singing music scarier for you than, than doing stand-up comedy? Not at this point. Okay. They both, yeah, they both, they, the first stand-up show I ever did that was a legit, like, what I would call my first real show was probably in 2009, eight or nine. I did it at the Bell Court, the mm -hmm. old Bell Court down in, downtown in Nashville. And it was sold out, four or 500 people. And I remember being in the dressing room and I had not my wedding, not anything I'd ever done been that scared. Yeah. Like, absolutely terrified because... You know, there were 500 people that were, like, raring to go. And I'd sort of put a set together, uh -huh. but I didn't really know I was going to go. And it, I just, my manager actually came down, and I remember she turned the corner, and she's like, oh, are you okay? Oh. Like, not like, oh, are you okay? It was like, is everything, you going to make it? And I was like, I'm okay. Just really terrified, but it's going to be okay, and we'll get up there, and we'll figure it out. And I did. But, but so that, you know, so now when I do stand-up, it's, it's really fun. It feels a lot. It's just who knows where it's going to go and how's it going to go and what's a crowd. I mean, when there are hard nights, it's the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I, mean, I can imagine. You know, you, you definitely sort of feel like, well, you people hate me and want to see me perish, <laughs> maybe in front of you tonight. Um, so it is, it's a different kind of energy, but, um, but I love them both. I think now I finally feel like, you know, I'm, I'm sort of comfortable enough with the comedy thing that they sort of feel... Yeah. You know. So I'm, I'm curious, the stand-up thing, how much is prepared and how much is just, I'm standing, I mean, like, when you talk, yeah. you, you, I don't think you know what you're going to say before no. the sentence is over. Yeah, oh no, ever in my life. Yeah, Which is, and so that's what your family says. Like, yeah, no, that's my whole life with you. <laughs> um, no, you know, it got to be, my, my manager at the time had a lot of wisdom around that, a guy named Chris Detray, and he was always so good. I remember him coming back at one show and he's like, look, because it kept getting longer, <laughs> because I would riff. Yeah, I'd have the bit, but I'd just riff. I'd mm -hmm. add little more nuggets and more nuggets. So by the five, fifth or sixth show in that 12-show sort of summer, he was like, look, it's really funny. Like, the new stuff you're adding is really funny, but trust that the bits are great and just do the bits. And it was really good for me because I think every night, I, again, I was getting bored. So I was like, what would make this funny? Oh, I should tangent on that a little bit. Yeah. And, and before I knew it, the, you know, you just feel the thing kind of get built out too big. And so I think I was really helped when he was like, hey, let's, it's getting longer and longer. Let's keep trim the fat. And then if you got some funny stuff, yeah, you can do it. But kind of keep it in the, in the rails a little bit. And so um, that was a hugely helpful you know, moment of kind of realizing like, oh, yeah, my tendency is just to rip and run. Yeah. But that's not really what I'm doing here. Yeah. You know. It's funny you haven't told any funny, embarrassing stories about comedy. Yeah. They're all about, so far, I mean, maybe yeah. you have some. Well, but. I'll tell you one of them. Gosh, this was so awkward. I did a show. One of the hardest things you can imagine about doing stand-up for me that's done music my whole career is just how to let people know what's happening that night. Huh. Because, you know, like, they see me and they go, oh, music. So we were doing the show in Denver, and we had, we had called the promoter, hey, we're doing this place called The Soil Dove, which is, like, one of my favorite rooms, weirdest name in the world, but a great room. And, uh, and so we told him, hey, it's a, this is part of the stand-up tour. He's like, great, we got it. So sold out, it was great. Well, I get there, and I knew immediately when I walked on stage. I was like, they don't know I'm doing stand-up. Wow. I just, I, I don't know what it was, <laughs> but I could feel it. And... I even made a joke. I was like, oh, whatever, where's your guitar? And I did the show. And I got done. I walked. To the, the, the side stage is literally just right there, so you can hear everybody clear as day. And they started, like, encoring and yelling songs. And I didn't go out because I was like, that's it. That's all I got. I don't got my guitar. I'm not going to do a macapella, you know. <laughs> and it, that night was one of the hardest nights of my career because I just got ripped apart on Twitter. Like all oh, of wow. these people started text like tweeting me and saying like, dude, not cool, the bait and switch. Like we drove from, you know, Colorado Springs to see the show and no songs and this is really frustrating. And it was like there was probably fifteen to twenty of these. And I I mean I just, just laid in my hotel bed like, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? So I, my manager was with me and he said, look, I said, look, let me answer them. And I said, hey guys, so sorry. And he told me, he's like, the promoter was so sorry and said, I, because all the, all the promo had been me and a guitar. Oh, wow. 
And he was like, I don't know. I just, it just slipped my mind. I'm so sorry. So he, so I was able to say, and he sort of gave me the, the okay to be like, hey, we just, and everybody but one guy was so cool. And they were like, oh man, all good. We actually had a blast. We laughed, but we'll, we'll be excited to see you next time. They were so gracious and great, except for one guy who was a youth director who got his money back. <laughs> I was like, God, that feels so apropos. But he was just so mad. And I was, he was like, sure, man, here's your 50 bucks. You know, like, yeah. that makes you feel better. But, um, but it, was, it was, you know, so that when we did the tour, the next one, when I did the half and half, we literally called it the tour where I sing songs and do stand-up tour. Because I was like, we are not having this problem again. Um, and thankfully, nobody really, you know, got mad about it. Comedy is weird. I mean, I'm not a professional, but, you know, it is my experience with it from the 30 or so shows I've done. There is a really weird terror that happens in a set because, you know, I always tell people, if you go, let's say you're in New York, you and your wife, and and you're going to go to a a random uh, coffee shop or whatever, and Sting walks in with a guitar and some guy's finishing up his set and goes, hey, you guys mind if I play a couple new songs? It kind of, even if the songs are terrible, it still stings voice. It mm-hmm. still is guitar. There's redemptive things that are happening. Mm-hmm. You can even, like, y'all are walking home that night and you're like, that's some of the worst music I've ever heard, but God, his voice. Or, like, <laughs> the guitar sounds so cool. There's something you can take away and still be like, it was Sting. Jerry Seinfeld, which you can see in Comedian, the, the, the movie, the, which is one of the best movies of all time, that documentary, you can get up and, there's n- and you are not funny. There's nothing redemptive. In fact, it maybe elicits the opposite response. I expected something great and I didn't mm-hmm. get it. And so now I'm not just, it's not something redemptive. I'm mad. Yeah. And so it's a scary thing when you realize that like music, there's always something that you can hide behind mm-hmm. to redeem the night or give them something. Stand up, you, you are real time trying to sort of like, for me at least, I can speak to my experience. You are real time trying to sort of give them something to enjoy before they leave because you know you can really feel the sense of and the pacing is really interesting like that was something we had i have a podcast called dadville and we had nate mm-hmm. bargazzi on it was something i asked nate i was like you know I, I said i've dabbled in doing some shows but man one of the biggest openers for me was just size of room changes the whole night huh. you know because you go from the ryman that was sold out that night to 2400 people and you have all this time because mm-hmm. the laugh and applause which there was a lot of <laughs> you know, it'll take five seconds. Yeah. And in a comedy show, that's a year and a half. I mean, literally, like, because you'll yeah. get done with a bit, and if you think about it, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, five. That's you just standing there. And sometimes yeah. it was 10 seconds. So I'd realize real time, like, I don't know what to do right now. And so you just kind of end up walking, like, okay, thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, so, but then you're in a room, like I did a room in Portland, Oregon, and there's 200 people in there, and it's tiny and tight. It feels like this. Yeah. And so, boy, you get done with a bit, but, and you're like, we're off. Here we go. You know, yeah. it's like so you're moving. You're just do, 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 And so there's just all these weird things that stand up to me is so fascinating. And it's so every night is different. Hmm. You have a crowd that loves it. And there are people in the, in the room who want to see you fail. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I don't think people come to a concert hoping the musicians will do a That's bad a job. That's a great point. That's but a great in, point. In, in, there are people who... There's a little bit of like, it's, it's like watching someone walk a tightrope across mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the buildings in New York. It's like, this is fun because he can make it, but it's also kind of fun because he could not make it. <laughs> and then I got a story <laughs> to tell, you know? So, so, yeah, it's weird. It's a really weird medium because there's, there's, you can, you can, this is what's so fascinating about comedy. Let's talk about this with Nate. Like, you, you can't, there's no greatest hits. Once uh-huh. you, you, you do a tour, he said it so well. He said, this is the way we work in comedy. You do a tour, at the end of the tour, you, ret- you do the special, and all those jokes are dead forever. Yeah. Rent, cycle, repeat. And I was like, that is literally, and we laughed. He's like, that's why I hate you guys, is because you do the opposite. You find a couple of good nuggets and welcome to the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, like, it, it's, it's just, it's ad nauseum. Like, here's yeah. the same songs you came for last time. And yeah. it's great. Yeah. But it's, it's literally polar opposites. And so it's a weird existence bouncing between those because my brain is like, well, they liked it last time. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, like Nate was saying on the pie, he's like, but they don't, they think they want it, but they don't because yeah. they know where it goes. I mean, and he also said, which was one of the funniest, I mean, he's a funny man. But he said, that's the thing that people underestimate, underestimate about bits is when they're yelling the request, they're yelling the punchline. <laughs> And I was like, that is genius, you know? Like, That's so funny. You know, so it's like you already know what the joke is. So, 
you know, it, it's a it's a really fascinating but very very different medium than songs are. I mean, you said it yourself. There's it, how the crowd feels, what they're wanting from you, uh, but there's you know I would argue that the feeling of for me of a room that's laughing really hard is a very different feeling than even a standing ovation. Hmm. There's something, and maybe it's just a season of life in where I'm trying to get better at it, so it's extra rewarding. But it's a very different feeling. It's like there's a power in that that's pretty insane, you know. Yeah, we need to. I, I, I do need to wrap up, but I, I yeah. got to ask you a couple of things. Yeah. And one is this. Um, uh, you know, it's gone. <laughs> yeah, what, was know. I gonna, what was I going to ask you? It, it was a. It was a. Just a. Wonderful. It was a great question. It, personal. Yeah. Yeah. It might. It, it didn't have to do with it. It was not me scolding you for plugging your own podcast on my podcast. How did you like how I did that? I don't know if you guys know. Um, so. Um, but um, oh, I, I wanted to. Ask, I wanted to hear when when somebody says something ugly about you on Twitter, you have to ask your manager. Can I respond to this? Well, you know that night after that show in Denver was really interesting because. We were trying to sort of put out a little bit. I mean, it, was, it wasn't even a yeah, fire. It was, yeah, a, sure. it was like a beginning of a fire. But for me, I just haven't, I've been, I don't know, maybe fortunate's the wrong word, but I just haven't had a lot of that kind of stuff in my career. So it yeah. felt like a bonfire. Yeah, right. Sure. I was like, what do we do with all yeah. this, you know? And so there was, yeah, there's a little bit of like, I should probably consult someone before yeah. I start yeah, right. responding to things and get myself. Yeah. And I would have, I was only going to be kind and, and sure. apologetic. Yeah. But even then, it's like, because it's like, hey, do we want to look like we're sorry for something? You know, yeah, so it's sure. just all that. Yeah. You know. I've been in one, I've been in a Twitter beef once. Ooh. Yeah. Somebody didn't like, said something ugly about my Flannery O'Connor book. And oh. instead of just ignoring it, I said something back and he said something back. And then, but then this was really sweet. A, a third person said, hey, I know both of you and y'all would actually like each other. No. Y'all should go to lunch. We're like, okay. So we went to lunch. No. We had a nice lunch. You're kidding me. Yeah. Wow. You that, never hear that. Yeah. So anyway, well, we need to wrap up. Yes. Thanks. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. So much fun. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate. Special thanks as well to Taylor Linhart for letting us use her song Diamonds as the theme music for season three of The Habit Podcast. You can learn more about Taylor and follow her work at taylorlinhart.com. The Habit membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.